Hello, and welcome to On The Marie Curie Couch, the podcast that aims to break down taboos and start open, honest conversations about death and dying. I'm Jason Davidson. I'm a social worker by profession, and I've worked in palliative care, hospice care, and bereavement support services for more than a decade. Each episode, we'll be speaking to a well-known guest to find out about how they feel about their own mortality and how their personal experience of bereavement has shaped the way they live their life. Today, I'm on the Marie Curie couch with Raynor Wynn. Raynor's a long-distance walker and writer whose first book, The Salt Path, was a Sunday Times bestseller in 2018. She writes primarily about community, nature, and the environment. A second book, The Wild Silence, was shortlisted for the prestigious Wainwright Prize for nature writing in 2021. And her latest book, Landlines, was published last October. Raynor lives in Cornwall with her husband, Moth. Raynor Wynn, welcome to the Marie Curie Couch. Oh, thank you. It's great to join you here, Jason. How are you? Yes, great day. What a beautiful day. The sun's shining, so all's well in the world. <laughs> How nice. I'm going to go straight in, Raynor, and ask if you can tell me about a significant bereavement that you've experienced in your life? That's a tricky one. I mean, I've written about the death of my mother, but probably it's when my dad died that was the most um, significant, I would think. I was in my late 30s, and um, he'd always been such a strong man who never really talked about illness or pain or, or anything like that. But he'd become increasingly unwell, and then we found that he had prostate cancer and it was at a stage where nothing could be done. Um, and it became such a shock because he was always such a, a man who really just kept his emotions and his feelings to himself. And so it was made so much harder for me because he didn't tell any of us that he had cancer. Right. He didn't tell the family. And I only discovered how ill he was because I went to see his doctor. And so when I came home from the visit to his doctor and um, tried to talk to him about it, he didn't want to talk about it. He said, so you know now. And really, you know, don't tell your mum. And I think that was my first encounter with somebody really, really close to me, dying, and having to keep that to myself because that was his wish made the situation almost impossible. Also really, really hard for my mum because she didn't understand what was going on. So it made the whole experience, I think, really into a very traumatic time when really what we should have been doing, I think, was consolidating our feelings, consolidating our memories, sharing those last weeks joyfully, I think. And it was it was just a really, really very difficult time. So that's probably the experience of dying that has stayed with me the clearest, I think, the sharpest focus. I'm assuming that 
you went to see your dad's doctor because you had concerns, you suspected something was up. Do you think your mum had those concerns as well? She thought he'd had some sort of um, digestive problem because he couldn't eat. He hadn't been eating for quite some time. And she just thought he'd, he'd got sort of something. Because he worked with animals a lot of the time, I think she thought he'd caught something from them, to be mm. honest. you know, it, it was as simplistic as that. But it wasn't until those very final weeks that um, that we had to tell her what was happening. And then, of course, the Marie Curie nurses came in. and But it didn't give my mum time to adjust to what was happening or to understand, really, I think. When it was clear that your dad was dying, you described he was in those final weeks and the Marie Curie nurses came. Your mum then knew what was happening, but obviously was just trying to get her head around it and get up to speed. Do you recall what, if any, conversations were had then about death, dying, funeral arrangements? Was there any of those conversations? The conversation with my dad about his funeral had been something that we'd had with him all his life because he'd always said, I absolutely don't want people wearing black. I don't want it to be mourning. I want it to be best summer clothes and it's a party. And that was absolutely what he wanted. He, and he'd made that clear to everybody for probably the previous 20 years when he was perfectly well. Mm. Um, and he stuck with that right into those final days. And I think that was one of the hardest things about the whole episode was that my um, mum even refused to acknowledge that that had been his wish. It was almost as if she almost just needed this whole process over and done quickly you know, and what would people say if we didn't wear black? And it became, rather than a celebration of my dad's life, it became something that we needed to just move on from and get on with life because that was the sort of family dynamic that we had of not exploring any emotional issue, I think. And that just made life so hard. It made his dying so hard. I think that, when you ask me the experience of one particular death, I think would be the one I would go to, simply because it didn't need to be like that. Can you talk about what the impact of that was on you? Well, it stayed with me so long. At the moment you said that, it was the first thing that came to my head. Um, and, and all these years on now, you know, over probably another 25 years on from that, it's still very much in my thinking, because I feel as if I failed him. I feel as if I didn't fulfill his wish, as if I didn't celebrate his life in the way that I should have done, in the way that I needed to, I think. Um, and so it, it made the time after he'd gone so much harder because I haven't been able to have those conversations with him and say, no, I'm going to miss you, Dad. I'm going to miss you telling me how to rewire a plug I'm going to miss the most basic bits about our life when I just call you up and say, you know, the kettle's broken, mate. What am I going to do? Um, just the really, really fundamental little bits of a close relationship with somebody. I didn't really get to say any of those things because we didn't have a relationship where we could express how we felt. And in those latter stages, I think 
we needed to, all of us, but we didn't. So I think it stayed with me always, really. I was just going to say, and if we're left with those feelings of unfinished business, one of the difficulties is what do we do with those feelings? Yeah, it is a problem because when it's unfinished, it sort of stays unfinished. And then you have to finish it for yourself. And that's a long and not always an easy process, I think. One of the things we talk about on this podcast is some of that practical planning, certainly around funeral planning, is, you know, encouraging people to get those wishes written down. And people may or may not know, but even in a will, you can add simple funeral wishes, what you want, that can be added into your will. But I was really struck there by, because I think no matter how much planning goes in, your mum's and I'm going to say fear, obviously, I don't know what was going on for her, but to do something that felt so out of what was expected for everybody to wear black and actually, which is what she thought you should do. And what would people think if we don't do that, even though that was her husband's wish. And that's a difficult place to be for anybody, isn't it? Having to make those decisions because I'm sure that wasn't easy for her at a time of grief, having to make those decisions, being torn by what somebody wants, but also being torn by what's expected. Yes, I think it's really, really difficult because um, we can leave people in no doubt about what our wishes are when we die. But when we're not there, then the funeral is really about the people who are left behind. It's about their expression of their grief and, and their remembrance and their memories. So I completely understand, you know, that she felt she had to take the route she did. It just left the rest of us with a sense of having failed him. And I think, as you say, if that's written down, if there's no doubt about that and everybody's aware of it, of, of your choices about what you want, then it just makes it so much easier for the people who are left behind. So, so much simpler to say, this is what we're doing because it's my dad's wish. Um, and then it's a difficult time. It's such a difficult time when someone is gone. So to have that really, really important point already dealt with eases the burden incredibly. And it also feels like it, it's something that you're sharing with them almost. So when my mum died, I gave her the funeral because I would have liked to have given her dad. And we played 1940s dance music and covered the tables in flowers and just celebrated her life rather than her passing. And in a way, I think it was almost, it was like a celebration for the two of them. So we, we lumped them both into one in a way. And I think... It was that, it was that funeral for my mum that allowed me to step away from the feelings I'd had after dad had gone. Mm, that sounds lovely. What's your experience of grief and bereavement been like? I mean, grief comes in so many forms, doesn't it? It comes in so many different forms. And we feel, initially, I, f I think when people have gone from my life, I've felt that initial loss of their presence more than anything. It's in those early stages, it's shock. It's a sense of just being out of body almost. For me, that's how it's been for me. Um, 
And I do think it's like your body is in shock almost because it is such, you know, it's, it's how it affects, well, how it affected me almost physically, I think. Um, after that, I think then it was just the lack of a presence that's been a hard thing. I mean, I've gone on to publish these books in late life. I mean, you know, to start publishing books when you're in your mid-50s, it's sort of like leaving it a bit late, really. But I would have loved nothing more than just to ring up my mum and dad and say, look at this, what do you think to this? And look at this thing. And you know, once or twice, even now, even, you know, for my dad, two decades later, I've occasionally picked up a phone and dialed a number without thinking, without the conscious thought of knowing that that number's somebody else's now. But I've just thought, oh my God, I must tell them this. And I've picked up the phone to tell them. And I've been, you know, about to press dial and it's, I've thought, oh, let's nobody to answer the phone. And I think the residual senses of just a little bit of you just isn't there anymore. It's just filled with a memory instead. That's a difficult one. But grief comes in so many forms. Yeah, we don't just grieve. When people are gone, I think sometimes when we know they're going, we start the grieving process even before they've gone. And I think that can be as hard to deal with as the after effect. A couple of words came into my head there when you were talking and about that missing the presence and even years later picking up the telephone and dialing the number or going to or thinking to. And of course, the most natural, normal thing in the world about wanting to share celebration with people who you love and your parents. And you know, whether that's the publication of a book or, and the two words that came to my head, one was, I was just thinking when you were talking, it's, there's something so deeply ingrained, that was one of them, and the other one was cellular, because it's like, in us, um, and so, what do we do with that, it's very strong, isn't it, that physical, ingrained, cellular, feeling they're not the best words (laughs) no but that's a great word cellular because i think it is because when you've had something that is so much a part of somebody who's so much part of your life so much a part of your absolute existence taken away it does feel almost like it leaves a residue in your body somehow it's like a, a residual loss within you that's not just emotional it has felt almost physical for me. And what do you do with it? What do you do with it? I think all you can do, and it takes time to come to this point, really, all you can do is take the strength of emotion and love and care that you had for that person that has left this feeling in you because they're no longer there. Take the strength of that, that emotion and allow that to carry you forwards rather than the grief of them not being there. I think if we feel that that depth of grief because someone has gone, it means we felt a depth of love and huge emotion as well. And I think it takes time, but I think we have to find ways, well, I've had to find ways of sort of tapping into that, that root cause of the grief, which is the absolute love for somebody that's no longer with you. And Allow that to be the thing that drives you rather than the pain. Let the joy pick you up, I think. And that 
the cells will transform and change and the person will still be central to them but they will just have a different shape so you'll be creating a new life where that individual's presence is not there anymore and you'll learn to live with that but they're still in you yes i think that's right i think when somebody is physically there with you you feel an emotion for them for their physical presence in your life but then when they're not there then somehow you have to absorb that and like you say it is cellular i've never thought of it like that but it is you've almost got to absorb them in a internalized way and then they become part of your life part of your future part of who you are part of what drives what you do what takes you forward and i really think what better tribute to somebody than that they lift you up into your future even after you've gone they lift you up into your future even after they've gone yeah really like that whether you're hosting a sports day a garden party or a tea party celebrate summer in support of marie curie this year by fundraising for Marie Curie, you can help our nurses provide care and compassion to people living with any terminal illness and emotional support to their families too. So let's get out there and raise money while the sun shines. Search Marie Curie Celebrate Summer to sign up today. So for people listening now who might be grieving, what things have helped you in grief? For me, every time it's just been in the natural world. Just being outside in green space, in that sense of of just finding harmony with the natural world and a sense of a sense of belonging to the natural world. And maybe maybe it's because my family came from a farming background, maybe because their lives were so tied up in the natural world, I don't know. But I think I've really found a sense of belonging, a sense of myself, a sense of who I am out in nature, just time spent just walking for me has, has really helped things fall into, not perspective because that's not a word, um, fall into acceptance, I think. Um, and sometimes we've just got to let ourselves be with the grief, just not fight it, just let it be. And it finds its own level somehow. It finds its own level, like when you're sieving some flour and you tap the side of a sieve and it just settles itself. It's going to fall through the holes, but it, it does it at its own speed. And I think that's how spending time in nature has, has helped me. It's, it's helped smooth the edges. And also, you just talked about this there, um, about it being a normal part of life to grieve the loss of someone you've loved or known. I think it's really important to normalise lots of it because people who sometimes are experiencing grief and it can be so overwhelming at times, both physically and emotionally, but it's about saying, well, be it those things are painful and difficult. Some people have said to me, I feel like I'm completely losing my mind and that's really scary. And, um, you know, I think it's important to just say to people that it is normal and it's a normal part of the process um, and that grieving does come 
and as you say, go if it falls through the sieve over time and it changes um, and evolves. I love the nature is something that helps for you. And I just wondered whether having conversations with others also helped. I think it has, actually. Um, I mean, initially, because we were a family who didn't talk about how we felt and to actually verbalise or to show that you were in a really bad emotional place wasn't acceptable behaviour. My initial reaction to grief had been to keep it inside, to keep it inside, to not discuss it, for people to say, you're okay, and for me to say, yes, I'm fine. That was how it was. But then as time went by, I needed to talk about it and to let it be expressed. And I think that now has become a so much easier way of dealing with things, to be able to express it and not to have to hide it or keep it into some private place. So conversations with people who who equally have lost someone has been incredibly soothing, cathartic, just really lifted the weight of good grief somehow just a little bit to know that those emotions are shared, that that really visceral, almost physical sense of, of loss isn't just my feeling, it's felt by so many people. Um, so to many years down the line now to, to share conversations with people about death and dying and grief has in a way liberated me from that constraint of not being able to express my grief to the point where maybe, maybe I didn't finish grieving until I started talking about it. I think we never finish grieving. I think it stays with us forever in some form or another. But to find a place where I could accept that grief as part of my life and go forward. So, yeah, talking about it with people who just basically have been through it in the same way or just cared for those people in the same way. And, yeah, it's been incredibly helpful. I think sometimes storytelling, reminiscing, um, you know, and especially if, if you're able to speak with others who knew the person as well and had their own relationship with them because people will have different stories and maybe even different stories of a different time, especially if it's parents or older relatives or friends, you know, um, you know just think about sort of my auntie being able to tell me stories about my mum before I was born, <laughs> you know, some of those stories which I never knew. And I, I think, yeah, storytelling and reminiscing. Um, I'm going to change tack a bit. And we've already touched on this. Um, and as I've said, one of the aims of the podcast is to encourage people to have conversations about death and dying and um, maybe start to do some of that planning or thinking about that planning around their own death for the future. And that might be writing a will, it might be getting funeral wishes written down, it might be getting wishes around care written down as well. Um, can I ask, do you ever think about your own death? I do, I do. Um... I've got to say, since my husband was diagnosed with a very life-limiting illness, it's made us think about death a lot. It's made us think about 
how we approach it, how we talk about it, how we create a conversation uh, that's as everyday as what are we having for tea. And that's what we've tried to do, is to step away from that attitude to death and dying that I had from my childhood, from my dad, um, into a conversation about death as being as normal as life. And so in that, yeah, I've thought about it for myself a lot. I've thought about what I would want if I were ill, what I would want people to to do with me afterwards, all of those things. And also, you know, how you would make it into a celebration of life, even if we were ill and had a time of knowing that we were going to die, how we would uh, make that into a time of celebrating still being alive, I think. Um, yeah, so I've thought about lots of things for myself. I really have this notion that I'm going to be cremated and whichever one of us goes first, um, we're just going to keep the other one in a pot on the, on the shelf. And then um, when the other one's gone, we're going to put their ashes in there and give them a shake up and let them go somewhere. That's our theory on what happens at the end. That's really nice. Is legacy something that's important to you, as in how you'd like to be remembered? I think we all leave a legacy, whether we intend to or not. You could say, I'll leave a legacy of the books, but then maybe nobody will read another one of them, and that'll be the end of that. I think the only legacy that's of any value that I would like to leave behind is for my family to know that they were loved and that they were central to my life. And that would be the only legacy I would care about, really. That would be the only one that would matter to me, I think. It's that they know that they were the core of everything. I've just got one more question, Raynor, but before I ask that, just thinking about our listeners, what we do know is many of our listeners feel supported by hearing other people's experiences of death and grief and loss. And um, I just wondered if there was anything you wanted to say before we finished to those people who might be supporting someone, caring for somebody now who's living with a terminal illness and or grieving the loss of someone? I think living with someone who has a terminal illness is incredibly difficult. But if, if you can find a way to step away from what is actually a process of grieving before somebody's gone and turn that into a celebration of them living while they're still here, then that's a strong thing to be able to hold for when they are gone. But grief, whoever you are, wherever you are, whoever you've lost, comes like a tidal wave. And I really think that the way that I've found as being the easiest to deal with that is not to try to paddle against the tide, but simply to just let the tide take me forwards. And it will be like a rush of a waterfall to start with. But then eventually you find that you've hit calmer waters and you're floating on some warmer river that's still travelling towards the sea, but maybe in a more gentle way. You've just got to go with the tide. Thank you. I really like that. How has it been for you having this conversation with me today and being on the Marie Curie couch? Um, I've got to say, I didn't know what to expect by talking to you, Jason, and it's been slightly more intense than I expected to. But I think quite uplifting at the same time, 
So thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Great. Well, listen, Rain Owen, thank you so much for joining me today on the Marie Curie Couch and sharing some of your story. Thank you. Thank you. So that's all for this episode of On the Marie Curie Couch. We hope it's got you thinking about matters of life and death and perhaps starting those conversations with your own friends and family. Marie Curie's here to help. From planning ahead to coping with bereavement, you can talk through any concerns you have around the end of life with our support line team, which also includes specially trained nurses. Call us on 0800 2309 or search Marie Curie online. This podcast is produced and edited by Marie Curie with support from Ultimate Content. The music featured is Time Lapse by Panoceanic. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do like and subscribe. Thanks for listening. And until next time, goodbye.